Welcome to Supercharge My Practice, a podcast dedicated to helping you build a thriving and fulfilling natural therapies business. Each week, your host, Anil Mustafa, interviews leading practitioners and field experts, sharing proven tactics, inspiring stories, and actionable steps that will help you unlock your potential. Supercharge My Practice is proudly brought to you by My Appointments Practice Management System. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Supercharge My Practice podcast. Today, I have Ella Worsley, who is a dedicated holistic well-being practitioner skilled in various modalities, including hypnotherapy, timeline therapy, Reiki, and neuro-linguistic programming. As a facilitator, speaker, podcast host, and meditation teacher, Ella excels in creating transformative experiences through workshops, retreats, events, online programs, and private client sessions. Ella, welcome. Such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to start with your extensive qualifications as a practitioner. Could you share a little bit about your journey that led you into your current position? And specifically, I'm curious to know if you began in private practice and then transitioned into the workshops and retreats, and if so, what prompted this shift? Yeah, so my background was in actually marketing and events for a long time. So um, I was in the corporate world for a really long time. And then I kind of had, I've always felt the call to go and work for myself. And I knew that I wanted to help people. And I knew that there was something more that I was meant to do. So I initially more started out in like the life kind of coaching uh, area. And then uh, became kind of skilled in neuro-linguistic programming, timeline therapy, um, Reiki kind of came in along somewhere there, hypnotherapy, and now I'm adding counselling into it as well. So it's all kind of progressed and, yeah, there were like many years of study adding new things to my tool belt, but I did more start with private clients and kind of just really built my skills up there first and really got to know people and problems and skills and really kind of sharpened those skills in more of an intimate setting with people. And then from there I transitioned into uh, like half-day retreat events, started really exploring that and putting some of my skills to to practice there and then online group programs so started running some online experiences with people and just getting more of a feel for that group dynamic as well and learning how to hold multiple people at multiple times and then from there more transitioned into the retreat space once I felt like I had uh, a little bit of a grip on that and um, yeah it's all really just beautifully transitioned into each other. Yeah, absolutely, it would. So you've had some amazing achievements through your retreats, both in terms of the attendance and the outcomes for your attendees. So I want to start by delving into the marketing side of things. So can you tell my listeners the key strategies or marketing approaches that you found most effective in connecting with and attracting your ideal clients? Yeah, we have had a lot of repeat business. So our number one marketing tool has honestly been uh, word of mouth. It's been giving people amazing experiences where they leave the retreat, they're talking about it, they're sharing about it on their social media. We've then got their mum coming along to the next one or their friend or somebody that they know from work. And so word of mouth has honestly been our biggest tool. Um, Instagram's been a really wonderful thing for us as well, you know, just sharing little snippets of videos and really taking people on that emotional journey um, and showing them insights into the retreat and really like speaking to those kinesthetic uh, viewers and really like allowing them to experience what it might feel like for them to attend so yeah social media um 
word of mouth, but also just events, you know, meeting people in person, having them come to our free events, our community events, um, some of our paid events as well, and just building relationships with people. Like I, I, I love to say that we had this, you know, amazing marketing strategy, but we haven't. We really have just built relationships with people and social media and people sharing and things like that. And through that, we've had a lot of success with retreats. Mm, so we're going to be focusing a lot on client retention in this in this podcast. And what you just said is testament to the fact that when you've got good client retention strategies, when your focus is client care and giving your people the, the best experience possible, that's how you build a successful business without having to need to spend hundreds of hours or hundreds of thousands of dollars on marketing. It's all about the patient and the patient's journey and how do you fulfill that? Because that, as you said, leads to more referrals and people finding you as well. So that's fantastic. So could you share some specific elements or practices you integrate to make sure that your clients actually have the best possible experiences before and during the retreats and let us know how this contributes to your overall business growth strategy as well? And this would apply to your clients, your one-on-one clients, because you do see clients privately too. So I'm asking that question in context of everything that you do as a practitioner. Yeah, just again, the client experience is at the forefront of everything that we do. So thinking about, you know, what they're experiencing at different stages of the, you know, private work or the retreat work, we, you know, have really come to understand, you know, when they walk into the retreat, how they're feeling on day two, how they're feeling on day three, what's coming up for them. So just being able to tailor the retreat, you know, to the group, yes, but also to meet those individual needs for people as well. Um and to really, again, like speaking to, we love setting the container. So at the very beginning of a retreat or at the very beginning of working with a private client, we always lay down, this is how it all works. This is this area over here and just give them everything that they need so that their brain can understand exactly what to expect. And, you know, we talk through all kinds of things around uh, boundaries of the retreat, you know, drugs and alcohol, like what's, what's allowed, what's not allowed. Like if this comes up, this is the scenario that you should take. So we really just set them up for success as best as possible so that they know exactly what to expect from us and we know exactly what we are expecting from them as well prior to them even coming to the retreat we have a call with them as well so we're building that relationship we're starting to lay down the foundation and then post retreat we have an eight-week program that we run to really support them with the integration as well because they get home they're feeling amazing or maybe they're feeling a little bit vulnerable and raw their world's shifted their reality is shifted so we really want to help them integrate things into their life giving them further tools and strategies and support and again really just setting them up for success and that's the same thing I do with one-on-one clients as well as lay down what to expect what they can expect from me and what I want to expect from them taking them on the journey I have like client portals that they have access to stacks of resources I give support outside of sessions as well Um, so there's so much that they're giving they're getting throughout the journey that can support them when things are coming up when they're feeling a little bit unsure just really allowing the whole experience to be just really tailor-made in a really beautiful way. So there's just so much thought that we put into things, even with our retreats, everything's thought out. The song list that we use, you know, the order in which we do everything at the retreat as well, like we've really thought out every single thing so that it is this beautiful journey that they go on. It's not just like throwing all these things here and there. It's really well put together. And that's, again, what I do with my clients as well. So I guess how that contributes to overall growth is that people are getting results. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, when you get people results and you give people this amazing experience that they want to talk about and they actually go home and they feel different or they, they work with you and they feel different, they're talking about it with other people, you know, they're then going to come back and do other things with you and have that amazing experience or they're going to go and tell somebody else about it as well. So I think having the client's results and their best interests and really just genuinely wanting to give them a phenomenal experience is a success strategy in itself. Mm, absolutely agree with that. And you've kind of answered the next couple of questions, but we'll just break yeah. down a little bit further. And one is the client journey, because yeah. I personally believe that you need to map out the client's entire journey from yeah. the minute they book online or when they when you answer the call to make the booking, you need to map out that entire journey. So yeah. can you break that down in a little bit more detail, um, more so with your one-on-one clients? Because the retreat is obviously a dedicated timeframe where you plan out all the events for the retreat, but with clients, it's a little bit different. So with your clients, you've said that you plan that whole journey out, but what does that actually look like for you? Like what level of detail do you go to to map out your client's journey? I do map out a lot of it, but I also, I like to like the masculine or feminine approach. So there's, there's structure, there's plans, there's, you know, I, they have notes that I give them access to after each session where I break down everything that we've gone through. They add things in there. I add things in there. There's tasking in there. There's resources in there. So there's like this communication channel that we keep on track of everything. But then I also have my, my behind the scenes plan, all of my notes and things that I'm referring to as well. So I do map things out with them at the very beginning. We go through obviously the personal history. We go through their goals. We go through what it is that they're looking for. We're setting the scene for our time together as well. And we are making a plan, but I do allow for things to come up as well. So if there's new things that we discover along the way, I think being able to pivot and to change direction and allow for a little bit of flow is beautiful as well. Um, so, yeah, with each client looks different as well because, you know, some clients respond differently to some things. Um, some clients really love hypnotherapy. Others really like NLP. Like some clients really love a more soft approach. Other clients need a little bit more of a firm approach. So, I really do tailor the journey to the individual and really just figure that out along the way as I build that rapport with them, as I get to understand them. You know, I really want to understand how they work and how I can best support them and, you know, the strategies that they're playing into behind the scenes. Are they someone that self-sabotages? Are they someone that doesn't know how to ask for help? And so, you know, when they are struggling, they won't know how to do that. So trying to give them the resources and the stepping stones and, you know, overcome those obstacles before they come with them. So, yeah, it's 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 different for every client. And I guess that's come from years of, you know, studying human behaviour and understanding humans and just getting curious about each individual person and not looking at it is a um a fixed journey for everyone and it's just the same every time it's it's different every single time for me Mm, that's great so in terms of the the journey itself do you go to that level of scripting and i don't mean word for word but saying approximately this is what i'm going to say when the client first walks in like what level of detail do you go to do you try to have everything kind of planned out and what you're going to say because in those early days I think some things like this can actually be quite helpful but when you're experienced you probably don't need it as much but did you go to that level of trying to actually script out all of things you're going to say to your client when they walk in when you ask them to rebook the next sessions do you go to that level of detail? Uh, initially I did initially when I was building up my skill set I had pieces of paper everywhere and medical <laughs> <laughs> things and you know now it's 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 kind of etched into my brain so a lot of it's just like I'm just pulling from an internal resource bank so I sometimes have a little bit of a you know a a mind map as to the things that we spoke about last session that we'd like to cover or you know where they're at but that's just purely some little dot points Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like I have 
built those internal resources so that when we want to talk about those things, like I know where to pull them from. And I've, I've spoken to them so many times with people that I don't have to kind of read off anything necessarily to take them through it as well. If it is something new or something that I haven't done a lot with clients, there might be a little note there, here or there. But yeah, a lot of it's really built in now, which is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And it's natural when it comes out that way. It, it's much better than looking at something and reading something and, and whatnot. But I know personally that you know, in those first years when you're out of practice and you're scared to ask patients to rebook because you start getting that feeling of, oh my God, they're going to think I just want their money or what are they going to think if I ask them to rebook? But when you start reframing it and looking at it as you're the practitioner and you know better and you need to tell them what they need, it's up to them what they do, but you're the expert, you need to tell them what they need. But what I found really helpful was just jotting it down and saying, this is what I'm going to say and then practicing it with family and friends. And it's that confidence that you get in what you're going to say that helps change the dynamic between the patient. It's that patient being confident that you know what you're doing and that you do need to see them and you're just telling them what they need. The confidence there in the rebooking race is is vastly different compared to letting your own insecurities kind of lead the conversation, if that makes any sense. So some great points there. And even though you've already covered it, I want to kind of, again, break this down a little bit further. And that is the post-retreat or the after the first client session the follow-up like you mentioned that you do like programs and people get in and they communicate with you I think you said it was an eight-week program but what does it actually look like on the client's end like because you've also mentioned that you pick up on the self-sabotage or the mindset issues like how do you outside of the one-on-one consultation know exactly what the client is thinking or feeling or how they're going with the support that you've provided in order for you to pick up before they get into those really destructive tendencies and then fall off care because they feel like they're not getting the response that they mm-hmm. that they would like? Yeah. Well, I actually only work with a set amount of people at a time and I go on a journey with them. So, you know, when they first inquire with me, we have a little bit of a conversation, I get to know their needs. And so from there, I give them the option of three different packages. So that might be six weeks, it might be 12 weeks, Um, obviously getting feedback from them. Some people give me like, I I really want to work with someone for six months. So for some people, we're jumping straight in to do things like that. I've just had a client that's just signed up for a year as well. So we go on a journey together. And so this can look like uh, a session every three weeks. Sometimes it can look like a session every fortnight as well. But generally, I'll be working with a set amount of people in like what I call a container, essentially. So they'll get sessions with me, um, whether it be talk therapy or healing sessions. They'll get access to all of my resources. I'll create uh, recordings for them as well. And then we will have uh, back and forth through Boxer as well. So we have a bit of a communication outside of the sessions where they can pop in there they can share what they're navigating through hey i'm having a really hard day the story that i'm telling myself today is x y and z or you know i've just opened up the notes and i'm I'm started to do this task and i'm really struggling with it a little bit or i'm just i'm feeling some resistance so it is a space for us to move the needle a little bit outside of our sessions now I know for everyone that's not (laughs) some practitioners that's like no way I'm I'm not doing that but for me that feels good like for me that does get a lot more results with people because we're not just checking in every two to three weeks and you know there's been things ruminating for two weeks you know prior to our last session that they're still sitting in like we're getting in sometimes I'll send them a one minute voice note they'll shift through something and then we're back on track to achieve the next goal so to speak so um yeah that does really support me and just getting to know them more we're really building that deep relationship as well i do have people that just book um some of one-off sessions but primarily i don't really advertise that a lot that's more for uh, post-retreat people or pre- previous clients because for me that's just what feels good for me I like to go on journeys with people and to really get those deeper transformational experiences so that's kind of how i've set it all up 
Yeah, and that's fantastic because when you've put people into packages, they know exactly what to expect. They know they're going to get X number of services included within that package. And because you've got them into a package, you're obviously then pricing your prices a little bit more to cover the in-between services. And I think that's a big issue with our practitioners and not everyone wants to work in that, like you said, that little container, which is perfectly fine. But what I would say at the very least is that they should be charging a little bit more if they are doing the one-on-one consults and not doing the packages and factoring in the in-between care because the in-between care, and I'm asking this as a question to you as well, that I believe the in-between care is where you can pick up all of the issues and get on top of them before they become a problem and the client kind of drops drops up from care. So do you, you would find the same thing, I'm assuming? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I've just had like a couple of messages come through this morning around things around Christmas. And, you know, one of these clients I have a session with this afternoon. So I'm setting her up for that. Um, sometimes I'll, you know, this week, for instance, with all my clients leading up to Christmas, I've asked them to send me through like their five biggest triggers leading into Christmas. And so we're going to all do some processes and some tasks around that to really set them up for success. So that's something that I just had dropping for me the other day. I'm like, Actually, I think I need to, <laughs> to get all my clients to do this leading up to Christmas. So I just sent them all a message. Hey, before our next session, I need you to get these things done and we'll discuss them in our session together. So it's also just a really great way of communicating with people. Um, you know, you can send through a little quote or a little reminder or things like that too. It's just that, uh, that touch point. But again, I do find that it really helps people move through things so quickly. Um, and it's also just a space for people to practice the muscle of being heard and being witnessed and being vulnerable and asking for help too because for so many people they don't know how to ask for help so actually giving them a space to practice that and to you know become a little bit more comfortable with that is a really transformational thing for so many people because they don't know how to ask for help or they don't they struggle with vulnerability and so giving them that space to go and practice that is a really beautiful thing as well Mm, that's fantastic. Now I'm going to go into burnout in a minute because the type of work that you're doing can lead to burnout. But before I do, I just want to caveat something to my listeners. And I love that model of what you're talking about, but I also think that there's this massive pressure on practitioners to start creating packages and programs because there's this belief, at least between like the ingestive therapist more so than like the massage therapists, there's this almost belief that you can't make money in a business unless you're selling packages and getting people committed to, you know, three months, six months, 12 months packages. Um, but I want to caveat to say that is not the only way to build a practice and that if you need to fact, not you need, you should factor in in between care because it's going to improve your results. But just put your prices up because then you don't need to see as many clients, but you can give your clients the absolute attention that they need. Because I do think that that in between care is actually more vital in many circumstances than just, you know, trying to get them to rebook for three months in advance, if that makes sense. But I, but I also want to touch on the overburn of that because naturally if you've got people locked into three-week, six-week, 12-week programs, whatever it might look like on your end, you're now responsible for that person. I know you said you only work with a set amount of clients, but everybody's different, every client is different, and some really need you to hold their hands and they really need you to be present with them at the drop of a hat, do you ever find yourself getting burnt out? And if so, or if not, what strategies do you put in place so that you don't get there? And if you do get there, how do you manage it? So boundaries <laughs> are something that I, I implement from the very beginning. So I let them know I'm not available on weekends. You know, if I choose to respond in the evening, I will choose to respond. But outside of that, I'm not, av- I'm not available in those evenings. Um, I say to them, if there's ever an emergency, write emergency as the first word. And that way I can see it pop up and I can prioritize it. But if it's not an emergency, I'm going to get it back to it when I, when I can. 
And sometimes I'll get back straight away. Other times it'll be 24 hours, 12 hours. But I set them up for success to expect that from me. I don't say I'm going to be available to you all of the time. But I also put that back in their court as well. And I say to them, when I message you, I don't expect you to write back straight away. I want you to write back when you have the time and when it feels good for you. So we really establish that relationship with each other to begin with. I've learned what my capacity is um, because obviously I have my private practice, but then I also have retreats and programs and other things as well. So I've kind of worked out the perfect number of people that I can support in a one-on-one space before I kind of tip it over and it's a little bit too much for me. But I love to nap. So napping is superpower. It's my secret sauce. It's my ingredient. And I schedule my days around that. So I'll have, you know, and I don't nap every single day, but a couple of, you know, sometimes during the week I might schedule an arrest in the afternoon, especially if I'm at home. And so, you know, I make sure that there's, you know, a, a full morning or things are going on in the morning and I make sure there's a couple of hours in the afternoon where I have a bit of space. Now, even if it's not for a nap, it's just for, you know, me to go for a walk or to fill up my cup and just to do something for myself to restore that energy a little bit so that I can go into the afternoon if I've got sessions or calls into the evening. I don't just book myself out for my whole day. So I really try and schedule in in a, a, a really tangible clever way so that there is space for rest i have you know weekends where i completely block myself out for rest as well so you know i have burnt myself out many times in the corporate world i know what burnout feels like i've been there quite a few times and so yeah i've tried to establish different boundaries with myself boundaries with clients and just to find you know my sweet spot with it all as well now my capacity to hold has completely grown over the last couple of years as well so you know working on building my capacity has really supported me in being able to hold so much more than i would have ever imagined when i could a couple of years ago so that is something that i work on However, I also prioritize rest and I have a really beautiful relationship with rest now. And I know that rest is one of the most productive things that I can do each day. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I might start incorporating daily naps into my routine too. <laughs> yeah. to, in, um, two months in Greece when I was 22 and I like was in the Greek lifestyle of just siestas and late lunches and just it changed my life. I was like, napping is amazing. And I've struggled with um, anemia a bit of my life as well. So my iron and, and, and I have always been on a bit of a journey. So, yeah, I think when you have to kind of prioritise rest, you do change your relationship with it and you realise how powerful it is because, you know, you don't, you don't go into that overtired space every day where you just get to the end of the day and you just feel completely exhausted. Like when you can prioritise a bit of rest somewhere in the day, you can kind of switch gears and you can go back into fourth year in the afternoon and feel great about it as well. Mm, do you ever get like, that opposite effect like if you have a nap do you ever feel like you struggle to get back into things or is it always a power nap and you're good to go power nap coffee i'm ready <laughs> wow that's amazing now you've had over 20 transformational retreats and obviously as we know you do private practice as well but you've likely encountered some challenges along the way so i'd love if you could share some any instances where you've overcome obstacles in client retention and satisfaction and the lessons that you've learned through those experiences yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of success. We haven't had a lot of people that have been unhappy with anything because, you know, we really pride ourselves on making sure that the experience is great. However, we're always open to feedback. So, you know, we've, there's been times where people have given us feedback on certain things and I think being able to come in from a not a defensive space but an open space and be willing to say, hey, like, thank you for your feedback. And, you know, even if the client's feedback is coming from, um, you know, a disempowering space or, you know, they're 
you know, they're viewing it in their own viewpoint based on their own traumas and experiences and things like that. It's being able to just accept that that's their viewpoint and meet them in that space and to open up to how things could be better as well. And we, after every retreat, after every program, got into the habit of like what worked, what didn't work, what would we do better? And just asking ourselves the question that even after we finish an amazing retreat and we're like, wow, that was so successful, that was so great, however, what would we do better? So fine-tuning things all of the time and not getting complacent in this is great, we'll just keep it as this. It's like it's great, but how could it be better as well? So, um, yeah, and, and then obviously, you know, any feedback that's come along the way has just really supported us in that. So seeing seeing feedback is a great thing and really, you know, having gratitude for feedback or having gratitude for the obstacles. You know, we ran retreats all through the pandemic. There's been times where we weren't sure we were going to be able to cross borders. There's been time where we had to change different things around. Around. We were in Bali when the pandemic started hitting us, running a retreat. So there's been lots of pivoting. You know, we were, we were primarily running events in the Enlightened Co. at that stage. So, you know, we had to pivot and we ran an online program called Reset, which was all around resetting your life. So that was just something that was birthed through the pandemic. So being able to pivot when the obstacles come and know that the obstacles are a part of life and it's when we can just move through them with a bit more ease and know that they are there to serve us and they are there to serve us in being better. Um, I think it's it's a, it's really a mindset thing. Mm, I really love that because we all take things personally. But we need to understand that when the patient is coming with any objection or anything that doesn't feel good for us, like you said, it's often actually their own things. It's the, you know, something's happened in the past. They're kind of projecting that onto you. But we don't realize in most cases that that feedback that we're getting is actually teaching us something from that and it allows us to improve on it. So it's hard to take what can be negative feedback positively, but when you understand that it's not intended in a capacity to hurt the person who's receiving yeah. feedback and you can take that information and better on your services I think it is actually quite a powerful thing as well yeah and I think when you are in when you are in this line of work as well like it's almost a responsibility to to know that that's where your clients can be coming from sometimes you know they're carrying around traumas they're carrying around life experiences that are triggering them and, and projecting out a certain view on reality for them so when you can just have that that deep level of compassion for them in that space and to not take it personally and know that they are just coming from their own experience sometimes yeah it really does help it just to be more water off a duck's back instead of oh no everything's wrong and also if things are wrong cool thank you for that feedback thanks for showing us an area that we might not have seen or a gray area like we really appreciate that or something that we can improve on because your services might be fantastic but ultimately if somebody has something to say about your services that can help you improve that that is a golden nugget there that you can take to make the journey for the next person coming along even better as well now you do a lot of personalized attention for your patients and for your retreat attendees as well and it's a key aspect of your uh, retreats But how do you strike that balance between maintaining that personal touch and managing scalability to accommodate a growing number of either participants or clients to see? So I know you you limit your clients, but how do you still give value and make your clients feel supported in a personalised way but allow that to be scalable enough for you to be able to help more people? Uh, Delegate the things that we can delegate so that we can, you know, have more energy going back into just client focus and, you know, actually working with people and not getting caught up in that, the little 
things that you have to do in business. But also within retreats, we have a, a pretty big team that usually comes in as well. So based on the, the amount of people that are coming in, we have uh, a beautiful team of facilitators that come and support us that are trained in, in certain modalities as well. And usually prior to the retreat, we start to get a feel for the people. We've got their forms and their, you know, the things that they're saying that they want to work on. And if we feel that there's, you know, not I don't want to say a heavier group coming, but there's some people with some heavier stuff coming along, you know, we might add an extra person in to really ensure that there's enough people there to be able to give that space for people. Because yes, there's group experiences and things like that. But even in the workshops, you know, even if I'm running a workshop with 15 people, I'll make sure that I go and sit with every single person throughout that workshop during different parts and spend that time with them as well and ask them how they are. We had a retreat one time um, that had a really high level of women that had experienced sexual abuse. And so um, obviously physical touch is a very big thing for them. And so we had to tailor some of the, which changed some of the activities very last minute um, because there was a lot, a lot of sensitivities to touch. So we just pivoted through that. We just changed it in certain ways. So again, being able to, um, pivot and just move through and just you know be a little bit spontaneous sometimes if you need to based on the individuals and what they're moving through but making sure that you've got the right team there and the amount of people there to support you really has supported us in having big retreats but also having that personal touch present as well and what about your one-on-one clients is it the same thing do you have like a va that helps you with the one-on-one stuff yeah, yeah a little bit yeah yeah and and for me, I don't take on more than I can handle. So, you know, I really just, if I ever feel like my, my work is slipping or my attention with certain people isn't what I want it to be, like I, my duty of care to people is to give them the best care possible. So um, I'm always just making sure that I'm at capacity for the amount of people that I have and I'm not going over capacity. Mm, great. I've got a couple more questions for you. And the next one I wanted to talk about is your workshops because workshops are an absolutely brilliant way to connect with new clients in a much deeper, meaningful way than a social media post ever could. So I'd yep. love to talk about your experience with workshops. It's something that a lot of practitioners want to do but can't get their foot in the door. It's quite hard to yep. get, you know, people to agree to running uh, workshops yep. within that corporate space. So what advice would you have to a practitioner who wants to move into that space but is finding it difficult to get their foot in the door? I would say who do you currently know that works in a corporate space? What relationship do you already have? Because building upon an existing relationship, if you already have no lack and trust with somebody and you can say, hey, I know that you work for X, Y, and Z or I know that you're a manager here, I'm thinking about, you know, stepping into the corporate space, like is this something you'd be open to? But if you do know people, that's a great place to start in because they already know you, they already trust you. And you're not going out and, and, you know, reaching out to complete randoms as well. But we have started, you know, venturing more into that space this year because I'm from corporate, Elle's from corporate. We know corporate very well. We know the challenges that they go through and things like that. So it is something that we've wanted to do for quite a while. And so uh, stepping into that, again, we ask ourselves, who do we know in that space? And, you know, just really built upon those existing relationships of people that we did know. There's been, you know, people that we don't know as well. Um, but just not being afraid to go and ask people not being afraid to go and just put yourself out there and just to see what lands. You know, I think we can so be we can be so afraid of rejection and so afraid of people saying no. But you know, hearing no is a part of the process. So you know, when you can actually move through that and just go out and do the thing, um, it's amazing what can happen. 
And your patients are another good avenue for that too, especially if you are doing in-person sessions because you know your clients are most likely going to be in the vicinity of where you practice. So when you've got that great relationship with your patients and you know they work somewhere locally, there's a beautiful opportunity there to say, I'd love to run this kind of a workshop for you, for your uh, for your company. You, yeah. know, could you go and speak to whoever is responsible for answering that question put the foot in the door for you and then you take over from there because that comes with a massive endorsement as well. You're not just a stranger that's contacted a company. So I think leveraging that relationship with patients to get out and reach more patients is a really good method that you can use as well. And I'm going to tip and say that the corporate workshops that you run are also a good feeder into a private practice but also maybe more specifically into your retreats. Would that be correct? Yeah, definitely. It's just getting in front of people. You know, we found that social media for us was such a huge channel a couple of years ago, but social media has really changed and the algorithm changed. It's, it's a lot harder to reach people. And, you know, we have uh, reached a bit of like what we call community exhaustion over the last couple of years because we've had a beautiful community and everyone's just like come and done so many things with us to the point where we're like, okay, go elsewhere now. Um, but so we're just like, how do we get in front of more people? How do we how do we expand our reach? You know, corporate was something we always wanted to do anyway, and so it just feels really good for us to go back into a space that we know really well. Um, and then we've been kind of working with like some CEOs and some you know high level executives, but also some business owners also, and just helping them, you know, with the emotional regulation and the mindset things and the things that we know are really valuable for people in those spaces. So is your workshops more around management and CEOs and, you know, the upper level of people or do you also run them for the employees of companies? Employees as well, yeah. Yeah. For like a a Pilates studio, so like all of their staff came in and they had like their end of year meeting and then afterwards I just took them through a really restorative practice and just helped them downregulate and just gave them some tips and tricks around that. So, yeah, we don't discriminate about that at all. We're open to helping all the people. Beautiful. And I really want to highlight again, this something is that something that commonly comes up through my podcast when I interview practitioners. And that is that the old school methods are so much more effective and so much more rewarding than relying on the new school methods, which is all social media and online presence, because the online stuff can work exceptionally well. Like you said, the algorithms have changed quite a bit. It's a lot harder to get in front of people these days. It's a lot harder to stand out. But personally, and I know certainly for a lot of other practitioners, there's not as much satisfaction in the social media stuff because it takes so much time and energy. And then when you do connect with someone, it's one person, whereas if you could have a community event or if you could run a workshop for a local business or if you can just get out there in a a capacity that allows you to meet more people, that connection that you develop, whether it's an expo or whatever it might be, that connection that you develop is so much more meaningful and results in a quicker transition from that potential person being interested to taking that next step with you in com- in comparison to what it takes to do that through social media. So I really wish practitioners would understand that it's those things are so powerful and that they don't have to kill themselves shaking their booty on social media just to get some more likes on their, you know, their reels and their stories and things like that as well. So, um, you know, I really thank you for highlighting that because it's a testament to the fact that everything that you've said throughout this whole podcast hasn't been relying on a big, massive marketing budget. It hasn't relied on you spending days and weeks and hours on end, you know, slaving away on social media. It is all about creating those connections and being in front of your ideal clients. So 
That's absolutely fantastic. Now, just before I get to my last question, because retreats are things that a lot of practitioners are looking towards. A lot of them are looking towards the online programs as a one, one method, but then as a supplemental income, they're also looking towards running retreats themselves. Do you have any advice for practitioners that are looking to move into that space of running retreats? You know, things that you found work for you in in making the retreat successful and or getting people to the retreat or any kind of tips or tricks that you might have for somebody who is looking to to pivot back in, pivot into that space of running retreats for their clients. Yeah. First of all, I would say that there's, <laughs> there is a high level of expenses attached to it as well. So really just taking that into consideration when you're thinking about what you're going to charge and things like that, like really making sure that you know exactly what it's going to cost you first because <laughs> that's a mistake that we made in the beginning. It's like, oh, let's just charge this and not actually factoring in actually what it costs us to actually run it as well. Because And your time. Especially these days, there is a huge price tag attached to lots of different places. Once you get a chef in and all that stuff, um, yeah, they are quite an expensive thing to run. So really just do factor that in. Um, but, you know, working with it for our, for our retreats, I've had so many one-on-one clients come along, um, people that have come to events. So just knowing that like these things that you go and do in person or these relationships with past clients that you already have, these are great people to get into your retreat first on because they've built that relationship with you. So I think for our first ever retreat, I had five one-on-one past clients come in for that retreat, which basically almost filled half of the retreats like that. Um so really building on the existing relationships with people. Don't just feel like you've got to go out and meet all new people and get them in. Like see who's already in your network and just, you know, you might want to reach out like, hey, I just wanted to let you know I've opened up a retreat. I'm really excited about it. I think it's something that, you know, could really build upon the work that we've been doing together. Um, here's the information if you're open to it or, hey, if you are open to it, I can send it to you. But seeing who is already there for you from a sales point of view from the very beginning is a very uh, tangible and very successful thing that you can do. Um and just having fun with it, yeah, and having a look at what's important to you. And, you know, for, for us, it was the things that have really helped us along the way and, you know, the pieces of the puzzle in our own healing journey that have really helped us create pivotal change in our own lives. So they were things that we added in. So, yeah, I think just having fun with the whole experience, knowing that retreats are such an amazing thing to step into. Um, yeah, spreadsheets will be your best friend. <laughs> Build a team of professionals to come in and run it alongside you factoring in rest you know factoring in rest for the attendees in the schedule but also factoring in rest for yourself because they are a very big output and starting with maybe like a three-day four-day one before you move into a greater uh, like a six or a five or a six-day one as well because they do really uh build capacity within you so you know you really have we started with four days and then we built our way into six days and after our first one i was wiped out for weeks whereas now we can run a six-day one and i have a couple of days where i get back to capacity but the muscle has been built so start small and build from there Mm, that's great. And I will just touch on price as well because and, and this is more specific to your one-on-one clients and the programs that you offer because for retreats, it's a little bit easier to price that because you're going to go, it cost me this much for the chef, it cost me this much for the accommodation and this much for everything else. Then you just factor your time into it. So that's a little bit more easy in terms of the price formula for retreats. But for one-on-one clients and especially for the level of care that you're actually providing, how did you come to the decision on what you wanted to charge for mm-hmm. your packages? Did you go by this is what I want to earn, this is what I'm going to charge, or did you have some other magical way of coming up with a number that worked for you? Because there's a lot of people in our industry that they just want to help everyone and, mm-hmm. and that's natural. That's that's how we all feel. 
So we naturally want to have affordable prices, but we also need to make sure that we're earning enough to maintain the business and so that we can give from a place of abundance as well. So do you have any advice on how to come up with the ideal pricing structure and still offer that level of care? Yeah, definitely. First of all, your price has got to feel good for you. So if you're looking at the price you're about to send somebody and there's like a little bit like resentment or like, oh, there, you probably need to put your prices up a little bit. Like we've got to feel good about it because if we're undercharging, then that energy is going into that client experience with that person. And we might be thinking that we're doing them a service by giving them a cheaper rate, but we're then bringing some of that funny feeling maybe into the client experience and really making sure that we feel good about what we're charging. Yeah, same with if you if, if, it feel, if you look at the price and it's too high and you're like, oh, like that, it doesn't feel good for you. It, I think for me, it's got to feel good for me. But I have a, you know, a price per session that I run, a price per, uh, you know, again, have being in that container each week, I charge that per week as well. So there's just a little bit of a, a fun that goes into that. Um, if they're doing a healing session, those are obviously a little bit more as well if I'm making recordings for them. So I just really break down all the things that they're getting and there's a, there's a price tag attached to all of those and I just calculate it based on, on that. So Again, in the first conversation with them, I ask them some questions around like how frequently do you want to have sessions? You know, how many healing sessions do you think that you might be having? I just, I get some feedback from them around the level of care that they're looking for. I give them the, the, the different options. They then choose one of the packages. And again, whatever has been put into that package, if it's, you know, 15 talk therapy sessions, three healing sessions, you know, over X amount of weeks, I just work out exactly what's gone into there. There's a price tag attached to all of those things, calculate it up. There'll be a paid in full amount or there'll be a payment plan amount factoring in the payment plan as well. Mm, That's a very good way to work it out. The last question I ask every single podcast guest, and you've given us so many golden nuggets already, but if you were just to give one piece of advice to a natural health practitioner aiming to build a business that they love, what would it be? Come from a full cup. Take care of you. When you are feeling good and when you are feeling vibrant and when you are really taking care of yourself, you're going to be coming from such a different space and people can feel that. Um, So when you're actually walking the walk and talking the talk and doing the thing, things that you're telling your clients to do and being that embodiment of that, people can feel that. And I think it's really important if we are in a certain line of work to be in integrity with what we're telling other people to do. So if we're telling people to meditate or to take care of their mental health or to do our healing or whatever it is as best we can you know we're human beings we fall down sometimes we make mistakes nobody's perfect but as best you can be doing those things yourself because again you're then going to be like a vibrational match for those clients and you're going to be in integrity with what you're saying and I think when we can come from that space of an integrity of really believing in our work people feel that as well and people do feel and can build that trust with us a lot quicker also and then just believe in yourself. You know, know that you know God, source, universe, whatever higher power you look to, has put that mission on your heart for a reason. And if you want to help people, then you know there's going to be self doubt, there's going to be fear, there's going to be all the things come up. Welcome to being a human being. But when we can learn how to move through those personal things that come up, and just to keep that greater vision in mind, and to know that it's not about that stuff. It's it's the impact that we want to be making. We can really move through that discomfort a lot quicker and not get stuck there. So 
you know, working on ourselves continually is such an important thing that I do. Um, I'm always going and doing things on myself because the better I feel, the more resilient I am, the more I'm in my power, the more confident I am, the more I can support people. And, and people do feel that. People will then, you know, randomly reach out and say, hey, I want to work with you or I've been following you on social media and I love the way that you do X, Y, and Z. Like, can you can you teach me how to do that? So. Again, when we're that walking, talking billboard of our work, whether we are on social media creating reels or not, people can feel that. Mm, absolutely. I've seen practitioners myself where uh, in-person ones and uh, I walked in and the, the practitioner is really frazzled, right? They're rushing. They were, I think they arrived at the practice late and they were in this really negative space because they were rushing around. And, and so they started the first five minutes of my consult complaining about their life. And yeah. that experience for me was horrendous because I'm sitting there feeling like I'm counselling the person that I'm paying to see. And so, you know, it, it sounds like common sense, you know, look after yourself and give from abundance. But when you understand that the reason for that isn't just for your own self-care, but so that you can give your clients and patients the best absolute service you can, then you do start to understand that prioritizing your health is not just about you. It's about you being able to give from abundance and help more people as well. So I really love that. Ella, your company is called The Enlightened Co. How can our find, listeners find out a little bit more about you and your retreats? I'm sure there's been lots of practitioners that would love to attend one of your incredible retreats. So tell us a little bit more about how people can find out more about you. There's, uh, there's a website, so you can just find us online or on LinkedIn or on a website, social media, The Enlightened Co. Um, I'm Ella Worsley, so you can kind of find me on all those places as well. So, yeah, we've got um, all the places that we're, 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 yeah, we're everywhere, basically. So just <laughs> Google those two things and you'll find us. And I'll have the links in the show notes as well. Ella, it's been an absolute pleasure interviewing you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today and I look forward to having you join me in the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest releases and for more helpful tips, look for me on Instagram under the handle Practice. This podcast is proudly sponsored by my appointments.